This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen from Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, if you don't already know it, Ringler Associates is the largest structured settlement company in the world with 60 locations and over 130 brokers. And today we're bringing you this show from Ringler's Associates annual meeting right here in Newport Beach, California, which is sunny and warm and a lot different from the New England I left a couple of days ago. Well, today we're going to talk about alternative dispute resolution. And uh, from my vantage point, I know that I've witnessed a dramatic growth in ADR over the past 20 years, and I'm also sure that that's true of my co-host today, uh, who's Ross Duncan. Ross is our Ringler associate in the Philadelphia office. Ross has been with Ringler for about 23 years, just about the same time I have, Ross. We kind of joined the Ringler about together. His office has successfully resolved over 4,000 cases. Uh, he began his insurance career with uh, the INA, the insurance company in North America, in various claim capacities, and uh, in fact, I knew you back when you were at INA. That's, uh, that was terrific. So uh, welcome, Ross, to Ringler Radio. Thanks, Larry. It's, it's great to be here. Um, uh, we're going to talk today, I think, about the resolution of claims uh, without going to court and uh, uh, alternative dispute resolutions, also known as ADR. And uh, my good friend, Mr. Rudder, is standing by. Well, you know, that's, that's exactly right. ADR is a very uh, up-and-coming and important topic, and uh, we're going to get right into it. Let me introduce our special guest, uh, Attorney Tom Rudder, joining us from Philadelphia, where he's the CEO of ADR Options. It's a company that provides expert services in mediation, arbitration, and mock trials. Tom's been practicing law for over 40 years. He's mediated uh, or arbitrated over 3,000 cases since 1993, and he specializes in complex cases such as professional liability, employment, personal injury, product liability, medical malpractice. Sounds like you've cornered the whole civil law arena there, Tom. Well, it, it sounds that way, and thanks for inviting me to be on your program. Uh, that's, that's, that's not quite true, but uh, we try <laughs> to cover the waterfront. Well, thanks for joining us, and... Uh, I hear you're from Pottstown, Pennsylvania. That's exactly right, well, where the Hill School is. Well, that's terrific. I used to, I used to live out there in Westchester, and uh, I know Pottstown very well, and I, I miss some of those days in, uh, in the Philly area. Well, let's talk about a couple of facts that are you know, somewhat little known to a lot of us out, out here, but uh, you know, on the other hand, some of us may know uh, a little bit more about it than others. First of all, 98% of claims never make it to the courtroom. About 2% actually go to trial. And most of the expense of uh, a claim happens when uh, you're going through discovery in the hiring of experts and at the trial. So all of that, all of that expense that leads up to trial is, uh, is very burdensome to the folks who have to pay it. Alternative dispute resolution, or what we call ADR, is one of the most rapidly growing fields in the law, in the area of the law, and... Uh, ADR is actually now being taught as a subject in law school. 
And you know, when when I joined the claim industry back at uh, Cigna, as, as Ross was, uh, back in those seventies and eighties, we never even knew about ADR. ADR was a, was not a really a topic, and not really a, a, a an element that entered into our discussions. We actually either settled the case, negotiated it individually with lawyers, or we went to trial. Uh, absolutely right, Larry, and. and you know, like you, that's my experience. And, and frankly, even in the Philadelphia area, we really didn't uh, become involved in ADR uh, uh, for quite some time. And, and Tom uh, was one of the forerunners in the Philadelphia court system starting uh, uh, the ADR process. Tom, how is it, as I recall, you uh, were doing something for the courts in Philadelphia because of the tremendous backlog way back when in the, I guess it was the early 90s. How did you get started in this process? Well, in 1991, uh, there was a plebiscite on the bar here in Philadelphia between the plaintiff's lawyers and the defense lawyers, the question being who amongst the bar would both sides trust to be in the middle of uh, the cases and sit as a judge pro tempore in our trial courts in Philadelphia, the courts of common pleas. And I had the good fortune to be the person who was selected and appointed by our Supreme Court to sit as a judge. And I did, beginning in June of 1991, for a little over three years, conducting jury trials, uh, mostly in professional negligence cases. But during that time also confirmed what I had suspected, which is if somebody, be it a judge or otherwise, uh, took the time to acquaint themselves with the facts of a dispute and the law that applied, and then uh, devoted the uh, energy to uh, persuading the lawyers to open uh, their files and speak candidly, you could get a lot of cases settled without the use of any judicial power uh, and without the, uh, the threat of the courthouse door to make cases settled. So that's how I started. Very interesting. Tom, uh, <clears throat> generally, obviously, mediations, which we're mostly familiar with, involve negotiations between the parties and so forth. Um, but there, in addition to mediations, there are uh, what are called arbitrations. What's, what's the difference, Tom? Walk us through that, if you could. Well, the major difference is that in a mediation, the parties retain control over the process and retain control over the question whether the case is going to be resolved. Mediation is simply a, a method of negotiation whereby some neutral party is used to facilitate the uh, discussions and sometimes to participate in the evaluation of the case. Arbitration, on the other hand, is the equivalent of a bench trial. Uh, that is to say, instead of a judge, you use some neutral person called an arbitrator, and the major difference, as I've noted, is that there you turn over to the arbitrator the ultimate decision as to whether the case shall be resolved, and if so, what the terms of the resolution shall be. I can add, though, as a footnote, a major aspect of intelligent arbitration is to do it in personal injury or commercial litigation under what is known as a high-low parameter, whereby the parties agree that in any event, the decision, the award, shall not be in excess of a certain amount nor less than a certain amount, thereby giving themselves still some control of the outcome similar to that in the mediation. Well, you know, Tom, in these arbitration sessions, uh, when a decision is reached, is there ever an appeal process? Can, some, can something coming from an arbitration uh, award in a setting like you were involved in, can that uh, ever go into a court for an appeal? The, uh, the bases for an appeal to court are very narrow. 
essentially it is if the arbitrator or arbitrator, sometimes there are three arbitrators, mm-hmm. it is whether the arbitrators have uh, committed a fraud of some kind in connection with the case or otherwise engaged in misconduct, or if they have denied some party the right to present their evidence, uh, meaning that they have precluded a witness or something of the sort. But the ability to get an arbitral award overturned is very, very narrow, and I can tell you that I have uh, uh, only once had an award of mine reversed, and then on appeal it was reversed and I was reinstated. So it's not that I'm that smart or that good, it's that the ability to challenge me after decision is very narrow. Uh, I, I think you're both <laughs> that smart and that good, Tom. Uh, well, uh, I'll accept the flattery, Roy. Uh, well, that, that said, Tom, uh, at least with, in my experience, in the ADRs that I've been involved in, the majority of the cases are personal injury cases. Is that your experience also, that the majority are, in fact, PI cases? Yes. The, the exception are, and maybe we'll mention it a little bit later or talk about it, the exception are employment cases, and also now in, a, in an increasing number, uh, commercial disputes between uh, Fortune 500 companies on contract matters. There is also a, a burgeoning area in terms of intellectual uh, uh, practice of, uh, problems, uh, and that's been facilitated by a couple of uh, recent Supreme Court decisions uh, concerning uh, patents and trademarks and the extent to which they can be challenged. Well, how does the process get started with you, Tom? Who, who calls you in? How, how does that work? Is it one side or the other, or is it, a, is it a combination of the two? Well, generally speaking, our calls come from situations where the lawyers have agreed that they want to mediate or arbitrate the case, and almost always because they've agreed upon whom they want to be, uh, the arbitrator or mediator. Uh, they then call us or write us, uh, telling us what their need is, whom they want to do it, and how much time they think is going to be needed to present the case. And we then have a number of women who work with us, and, of course, one of my partners uh, who works with us, to uh, schedule the case at a time convenient uh, to the parties and to the chosen uh, neutral. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we do, as you know, Tom, is we participate as structured settlement brokers in these mediation sessions. And let me ask Ross, uh, how are you usually called into the case, Ross, and, and what is your role at the table? How does that develop as you get into the case? Uh, well, Larry, we're, we're usually called into the table, or to the table, I should say, by, by either the, the self-insured or, or defense uh, uh, carrier, uh, oftentimes, or sometimes the plaintiff attorney. Um, uh, and, and in the case of Mr. Rudder, on occasion, I'll actually get phone calls directly from him when there's no one attending a mediation and he thinks a structure may uh, help uh, get the case resolved. Um, uh, uh, as far as the role at the table, I, when I get there, I really see myself as a support system uh, uh, for whoever I'm working for. But actually, uh, I look at our position that we're sort of, uh, uh, at the end of the day, we're sort of in the middle of the table wearing the white hat because we need to make the money that is available work for the plaintiff at the end of the day because it's he or she who has the need, and that's what we try to do. We try to design it and work as a support not only for uh, uh, both sides but also taking the lead of someone like Tom as to uh, what our role should be in that process. Larry, can I add one thought to that? Sure, Tom. It is important from my perspective as a neutral, and this is one of the reasons why Ross and his folks from Ringler that I am uh, acquainted with uh, are so helpful. That is, they cannot be seen to be an advocate 
for any side or any position in the case except for uh, the maximization of the benefit of the funds involved. Sometimes uh, I see a, 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 an annuity person or a structure person who wants to take an advocate's position on one side or the other, and that just uh, queers the whole discussion. So it is important that, and Larry, uh, you, you got to know your folks that I've seen do it, uh, uh, that they be seen as being persons who are there to help. They're, they're something which is to help utilize the process as opposed to making it come out a certain way. Well, abs- absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a tough, sometimes it's a tough, uh, tough role to play because you're brought in by uh, a defense side who expects you as a broker to be somewhat advocating their position. But one of the things that we always try to, to instruct our clients about is that we're much more helpful to them if we can be seen as the neutral. And you're absolutely right about that. So how, how do you set these ground rules for the process when you're the mediator? And, do, for example, when, when, a, when a structure person is introduced, oftentimes I like to have the mediator say he's here to serve the interest of both parties. He's here to help take the money and, and make it work in a different way for, the, for, for you as the claimant, Mr. and Mrs. Claimant. How do you handle that? How do you introduce the broker? How do you make that happen? Well, generally speaking, the broker is introduced by whomever has brought him there. But early on, I make sure that everybody understands that the broker's point is to take whatever funds are available based upon important information such as health information, birth dates, uh, marital status, how many children, those kinds of things, the important data to put it all together and their, their purpose here, parties to the uh, uh, mediation, is to take all of this information, figure out which is the best source of investment of the funds, and then to come up with a, a manner of using the money which will maximize the benefit to you. And I, I say all the time, I did it just this morning, uh, I say all the time to somebody who says, well, but my uncle is a, is a banker, is to say, well, when that person tells you they can do better than they can do in a structure, Uh, please be sure you take into account the tax-free consequences of the investment in an annuity. So I I try to get people thinking about what I believe to be the important information the annuity broker has to work with. Well, uh, that that is important. And, you know, it's funny, oftentimes I'll often often ask somebody who talks about the the banker brother or the broker uh, brother-in-law to – to make sure that they put in writing any guarantees that they have about rates of return because, uh, you know, ours are, ours are sitting there on paper and oftentimes theirs are more, more in the way of an assumption. So it's very important uh, to compare the apples to the apples. What about your process, uh, Tom? When you get everybody together in the room, do you typically let uh, the plaintiff tell the story and then the defendants tell their story and then you break out into separate groups? Or is that, is that the model you use? Well, no, that's not the model I use. Mm-hmm. It's the model that many people use. Mm-hmm. My model is to be sufficiently acquainted with the case by virtue of pre-hearing submissions that I tend to ask what I consider to be the key uh, factual questions and to raise the key legal issues so that the person who has to respond to the question or the issue is heard to give a response and the other side hears the response and both the other side and I uh, can make a judgment as to whether the response is persuasive. You know, uh, for example, uh, the case this morning is what do you do about the, the, cont- the contention that the plaintiff was contributory negligent and not seeing this defect in the sidewalk? After I have that session with everybody together, I then, of course, break out into caucus sessions and speak on a very highly confidential basis with each side. 
Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, and I don't have to tell you this, Tom, but for the audience to know that one of the big benefits of mediation is having the plaintiffs themselves actually at this session. Absolutely. So that they can, uh, you know, sometimes hear the other side of the story and, and also get, you know, a little bit of the time pressure of making sure that their case hopefully will get resolved in that session. You have... Uh, well, excuse me, Larry, before you go on there, yeah. one of the other things which often escapes notice is that when a plaintiff comes to one of these mediation sessions, they come with the hope, if not the expectation, that the case is going to resolve. So that if it doesn't resolve right then and there, when they leave, they still go home and think about what happened, including what the opportunities to settle were at the mediation when they're sitting at the kitchen table that night, you know, having their uh, ice cream or drinking their cup of coffee. Well, and, you know, sometimes those cases settle in the ensuing days Absolutely. As, as they start to hear about it. But, you know, what's also helpful to that, I've seen, is if, if they go home with a piece of paper like a structured settlement proposal, that they can then peruse over that coffee and realize what it is they may, they may have given up. So that, that's also part of the process of a structure broker at a settlement mediation. And knowing that Ross is here and that you've dealt with Ross, what value do you see in having a structured settlement broker uh, at the mediation, participating in that mediation, and perhaps even being brought into the other room from time to time by you? Because Ross knows a lot more about annuities and structured settlements than I do. I like to think I know a little bit, but he knows a lot more than I do, and he can talk about who the issuer is, uh, what their ratings are, uh, what the internal rate of return is, what the comparison between that internal rate of return and a taxable rate of return is, the kind of assurances and guarantees uh, that exist, and not uh, of no little importance, the tax consequences. So it, it's Ross or somebody like you or Ross brings to the table a lot of expertise, which, as I've said, if shown to be neutral and problem-solving, is very, very helpful. And, Ross, do you typically interact with all the parties at the mediation? Do you go into the plaintiffs and, and talk to them as well during the course of a day? Well, again, Larry, it, it, it depends a lot of times on the mediator. If the mediator uh, uh, wants me to do that, then I obviously do. And, and, and frankly, it's the best scenario for us. But again, not all cases uh, uh, avail themselves to that possibility. But, but making sure that the mediator is comfortable, if he, if he chooses not to let us interact with the plaintiff, for instance, uh, making sure that the mediator is comfortable with the concepts and understands what I'm putting or what we're putting on paper to relate to the other side. Um, uh, it's very important that they grasp the tax-free nature, the, the guarantee periods, the, the what-ifs of what a structured settlement is all about. Well, and you know, uh, Tom, one of the jobs that we have, and hopefully that you have as, as the mediator, is to spread the word to other mediators as to how important and how you know, helpful a structured settlement broker can be in these mediations if they're used properly. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more after the break. And what we're going to do now is take a short break and then come right back to continue our discussion about alternative dispute resolution with Tom Rutter and Ross Duncan. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. 
Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. We're talking about alternative dispute resolution with my co-host, Ross Duncan, from uh, the Philadelphia office of Ringler, and our special guest, attorney Tom Rutter, also from Philadelphia. Tom, take a minute uh, and talk about the people that mediate cases for you in your group. Are they typically, what are they? Are they expert lawyers, subject matter experts, retired judges? What does that group look like? Uh, mostly our people are retired judges and senior uh, lawyers with a lot of trial experience. Uh, we really don't try to find people who are experts in a narrow field, except in the cases of IP kinds of problems uh, or sometimes in an employment problem. Basically, they're people who have demonstrated an ability to uh, understand facts, uh, understand the law, and then relate to the parties and their counsel. Uh, Tom, I, uh, one of the things I've always been impressed with when I go to a mediation and you are the mediator is, is how prepared you are for the case. What, what is the process you go through in getting yourself to that point? Well, uh, we ask that each party to the mediation supply me with a memorandum. It can be confidential in whole or in part if they wish, but it's a memorandum which sets forth the facts that they consider to be important, the legal principles that they consider to be important, and any special issues that may be involved. Uh, then I have read those carefully before we get to the mediation, and that permits me to see where, as I've said, the factual issues uh, arise and where the legal issues arise. And I, I think it's fair to say that all of the mediators that work with me here at, at our little company are, are doing the same thing. Uh, we do not believe in, uh, in starting out as that potted plant at the beginning of a mediation in the hopes we can catch up. Well, and what about you, Ross? What's uh, in store for you when you go to a mediation? How do you prepare? Well, Larry, hopefully that uh, prior to the mediation, we had the opportunity uh, uh, early in the case to acquire information that we need to, to lend our expertise to the, uh, to the process. And that includes oftentimes, for instance, in med-mal cases, uh, uh, getting life care plans, getting what we call substandard ra uh, ratings, to uh, uh, which can apply to the pricing and the needs of the plaintiff. Um, uh, essentially, we need to to not necessarily understand all the legal ramifications, certainly, but we need to know the background of of the plaintiff, and we need to know the the uh, the ages, and hopefully the needs. And 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 while at the mediation, hopefully somebody like Tom can. Uh, can help us get some of the unanswered questions answered so we can apply our expertise. And that, that's absolutely true, Tom. Your, your mediators can be very helpful in providing that. And, you know, another area that often crops up at these mediations is uh, 
their liens show up. There are liens involved in these cases that sometimes arise at mediation that weren't known before, and that certainly affects how the money is going to be distributed. So that's, uh, that's something also that is helpful to learn at these mediations, as, as you know. What, uh, what do you do, Tom, to, to figure out how much you should devote, how much time to a particular case? I know some, some mediations are half days, some are full day, some even are two day. How, how, do, how does that transpire in your mind? We generally ask the parties when they submit the case how much time they think the case will require. And generally speaking, we find their estimates are pretty good. Uh, it, it is the fact, though, that I and most of my co-neutrals here are what I like to call bottom-line people. Uh, we, we try not to stair-step the negotiations unless we have to so that people know we're going to get to the, where the rubber meets the road, how many dollars are involved or what other relief is sought fairly quickly. So we let it to the parties to tell us, and generally speaking, their estimates are not too far off. But, you know, I, I'm sure as Ross has seen, uh, what we find in most mediations is no matter how much time has been allocated to the mediation, the true work actually takes place towards the end of that time frame. Uh, seems like that when that deadline is approaching, that's when the real work begins. Uh, have you found that to be true, Tom? Yeah, more or less. I mean, it, uh, people sort of want to posture for a little while mm -hmm. uh, to, to shadow box to see what happens with the other side. But you're right. It, uh, when it gets down to the end, uh, people begin to have a true sense as to whether the case can be resolved and what the other party's real position is. And, of course, I try very hard to get people to tell me on a confidential basis uh, what they really want as, the, as their final walk-away position to resolve the case. You know, and oftentimes uh, as we approach lunchtime or dinnertime in these mediations, uh, you see people getting a little hungry, and sometimes you keep them there a little longer, and things get done, don't they? Well, it also depends on plane schedules and train sure. schedules and uh, that kind of stuff. Okay. What about uh, when cases don't get resolved? I assume that you continue to follow up with these folks and try to get the case resolved beyond the, the actual mediation. Absolutely. Uh, I think we have a reputation of being uh, a pain in the neck, a pest. Well, and trying good. to get people to resolve cases and staying after them to, to see if we can't get things where they should be. And, you know, Tom, you've been doing this for quite a while, I know, and, and so have a lot of other mediators. But how many, uh, how many cases are you resolving by mediation in a given year these days? What, what's the, what does it look like out there? The, the, I and the other neutrals here at 80 or Options uh, resolve about 1,200 cases a year. And do you expect that to grow as we go through time? I know it's not going to replace the court system totally, but, but more and more and more cases are being, uh, as you mentioned, even different areas of law are being uh, handled with mediations like this. you expect more to, to be coming down the road? Uh, probably so, but uh, I don't think it's ever going to reduce. It's certainly, uh, as the litigation uh, process continues, I, I, we're at least going to stay there and probably do more. Tom, I, I, interestingly, I was in a, at a mediation last week, and I was sitting in a uh, uh, mediator's office uh, just looking at a magazine before we got started, and uh, uh, it was in the Philadelphia area, and, and as I opened it up, there was a listing of mediators and mediation firms in the uh, state of Pennsylvania, uh, uh, and you guys were far and away the, the most prominent uh, uh, firm in that you settled dramatically more cases in Pennsylvania than any other mediation firm. Uh, well, I, I think that's true. Uh, I may have seen the same statistics. Uh, uh, we do a lot more in Pennsylvania, I think, than anybody else. And we do a significant amount in New Jersey and in Delaware as well. Tom, you mentioned uh, earlier in the program about 
other types of cases beyond the personal injury side, you mentioned uh, intellectual property and uh, employment cases. Give us a little insight into, uh, and may, maybe perhaps even divorce cases. I'm not sure if you do that as well. Give us an idea of uh, what are the kinds of cases are working well these days with ADR? Well, we don't do a divorce or domestic relation cases as a matter of personal preference, but we are seeing a, a whole lot of employment kinds of cases uh, where there are issues about uh, civil rights, where there are issues about uh, sexual harassment, about wrongful termination, and I find that they are very interesting and they're a unique kind of uh, 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 problem because there it is especially important for the employee who has the complaint to have a chance to vent, uh, to express themselves, and for the company to be represented by a sufficiently high-level executive to make the employee know that their concerns are being uh, uh, attended to by people in responsibility. And there, too, as I'm sure Ross can tell you a lot more than I, uh, 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 structured settlements make a lot of sense because you're replacing, for example, an earnings stream. But employment is an area which is uh, burgeoning and growing as the days go by. Well, uh, what you just said, Tom, uh, uh, does hit home in that we're getting involved in a lot of cases such as discrimination, wrongful termination, uh, civil rights cases, sexual harassment, uh, all being involved with the structured settlement, and and we use what is called a non-qualified uh, uh, annuity or non-qualified assignment, uh, which has a different tax uh, uh, ramification than does the personal injury case. And uh, uh, we're getting more and more involved in these cases all the time as uh, compared to the past, which was generally just personal injury cases. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, these, these types of cases uh, lend themselves uh, very well to structures, except, as Ross said, they're not tax-free. But that's okay because... Uh, you know, it, it's it's great to have people receive their their income stream in, in a way and in a manner that's not going to uh, have them dissipate it too soon, and that makes everybody look good in the long run. Tom, what about uh, you know you you talked about uh, the kinds of cases you do and the kinds of cases you handle. Uh, certainly, there are certain times when you go to a mediation and there's no structured settlement person there; they haven't been called into the case. Ross mentioned before that sometimes, you know, you, you call them up. Don't you think that when a, when a structured settlement broker is not there that uh, you almost need to call somebody because it's a real helpful tool for you? Well, frequently I, I do do that, just as Ross said. Uh, I'll call the Ringer office here in Philadelphia to, to ask if Ross or one of his uh, assistants is there because I want to be able to make them uh, hook up, generally speaking, with the plaintiff's lawyer so that they can help to... Uh, appreciate what the benefits are of the settlement can be. And I've had, uh, you know, off-the-cuff rough quotes given to me many, many times where I could go tell the plaintiff and the plaintiff's lawyer that if this were money were invested or used in a certain way, this is what could happen, and uh, maybe you need to think about that further. Yeah, it, having, having Ross or somebody like him available to me is a great help many times. Well, that, you're the kind of mediator we like to hear. That's, that's good stuff. And, you know, uh, hopefully when mediators listen to this broadcast, they'll realize the importance of doing that, especially for those uh, currently who may not be in that pra- using that practice. Well, we're about out of time uh, here today, uh, Tom, and I want to thank you very much for joining us from Philadelphia. Uh, Ross, thank you as well. Tom, if someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, how do they do that? Well, we're here in Philadelphia, and the uh, telephone number is uh, area code 215 
1-800-364-6098. Well, that's great. And, Ross, how about someone wants to reach you? Uh, well, as you said, Larry, we're in the Philadelphia area. Our phone number is 610-834-5553, or you can always contact us uh, on our website at ringlerassociates.com. And as you know, ringlerassociates.com, you can contact any of the brokers in the uh, Ringler family all around the country. And if you want to reach me in New England, 978-974-9922, and I'll certainly lead you to the right place to go for the information you're looking for. Once again, thanks for listening. Thanks again, Tom. Good luck there in Philadelphia. And now go out and make it a great day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. 